Undisputed kings, it's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. Boxing knowledge dropped by Kenny and Vin, it's a sweet science by the diehard fan. Manny and Floyd, Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Krakow, the tale of the tape on theboxingrank.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings, it's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrank.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 124 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcasts, the tale of the tape. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined as always by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What up, brother? Uh, Once again, shockwaves sent through the boxing world. Unbelievable, man. I know. Another big fight announcement as Gennady Golovkin will square off Against Kell Brook, September 10th in London, England. We will get to that uh, after we do a little bit of a rundown here on episode 124 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We bring you the post-fight of Sergey Kovalev versus Isaac Chalemba, a preview of Deontay Wilder returning to the ring to PBC on Fox as he squares off against Chris Ariola. Um, and pretty much this entire episode is going to be filled with conversation about some of the best fighters in the world. It's going to be uh, simple to the point, but there's a lot to say today on episode 124. Yeah, a lot a lot of stuff happened here in the last few days. Uh, even with the Kovalev fight, you got the co- Twitter controversy after that where everybody seems to think that Kovalev is all of a sudden way more susceptible to war than he was before this fight. I mean, just all kinds of stuff going on, man. Yes, yeah, storylines galore, no doubt. Well, we welcome you to episode 124 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow Vince at Vince Cummings 81. And of course, the show at The Boxing Rant. If you haven't subscribed to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast yet, go to iTunes, subscribe today. You can get it on Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and of course, The Boxing Rant youtube channel we appreciate all of you tuning in all across the globe all of our listeners in the uk here in the states and everywhere else for taking time out of your busy weeks to listen to the tale of the tape boxing podcast all right then let's just cut the shit let's get right down to business yes sir um we were waiting for about a week and a half since eddie hearn had said that gennady golovkin versus chris eubank uh was imminent Right, So every day was going by, every day was going by, and then all of a sudden, in much the same fashion as the announcement from Golden Boy Promotions for Canelo Alvarez versus Amir Khan, drops from Eddie Hearn and K2, Triple G, Kel Brook, a fight poster, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, will travel to London, England to square off against IBF welterweight champion Kel Brook. Unfucking believable. Yeah, completely unexpected. I remember I was with you when you saw it get get brought up on Twitter by Eddie Hearn, and you you looked at me and you go, "Who do you think uh, Golovkin's next opponent is?" Because it just got signed. I said, "I don't, I don't know. If it's not Eubank, I don't, Hopkins, I don't know. Who is it?" And you said, "Brooke." I go, "What? Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> completely out of nowhere, man. Yeah, this came out of absolutely nowhere. You're right, man. 
looking at the picture, I think I was on delay. I was like, I paused for a second. My brain wasn't working because I, I thought my eyes were deceiving me. Yeah, he's like, are, am I being trolled right now? No, no, we are not being trolled because <laughs> September 10th at the O2, Triple G travels to the UK to square off against Kell Brook. Now, this thing has been met with all kinds of opinions. Uh, a lot of the hardcore community that we follow, that we communicate with on Twitter, um, surprising to me anyways, was met with a lot of backlash this fight was. There's a lot of negativity surrounding it. Um, as time has gone by, we've had a, a few days since we will be one of the later podcasts uh, released this week, have had some time to kind of digest what everybody's been saying from the moment that you and I found out and were shocked as hell right? all the way until uh, 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 the recording of episode 124 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. And I'll tell you what, my opinion's changed a little bit, Vin. Yeah? Yeah, I've, I've gone back and forth on this. At first, I was just really shocked. Part of me was really excited because I've always viewed Kell Brook as by far the largest, strongest welterweight. And every time I saw him fight in the condition that he was in, man, I always looked at him and I was like, this dude has no business fighting at welterweight. I don't know how he makes weight yeah, um, because he's a very, very big 147-pounder. So the first top, topic of conversation here, Ben, Triple G, Kell Brook, 147 to 160. This will be contested at 160 with the IBF 10-pound day-after weigh-in maximum for these guys. The weight in this fight, Kell Brook coming up, can you compare this to Amir Khan versus Canelo Alvarez in that sense? Because Kell Brook, not only was he a large welterweight, but he was a sturdy welterweight. And it looks like even with the inch-and-a-half disadvantage that he'll have in height and what's marginal on the reach, that Kell Brook, will actually look pretty fantastic physically and should be really, really strong at 160 pounds. I, I, don't, I don't see any way how he isn't, Ken. I mean, just his the muscularity of his build is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, you're telling me this guy is going to have to cut absolutely no weight probably. I mean, he's going to be able to eat healthy, work out strong. Uh, this guy's going to be probably in some of the best shape we ever see boxers in when he gets in the ring that night. Uh, the, to me, the size difference is, look, I, I, I get it. You know, I get the frustration with people that why is, he, why is Golovkin picking off a welterweight? I mean, let's be honest here and as to why we're in this situation. Sure. I mean, you had Golovkin's and, and Loeffler's time wasted on Canelo. After that, again, wasted on Eubank, who I, I just can't believe what came of those negotiations or what, what we're hearing after the fact. I mean... I, I can't sit here and say I'm surprised. I've been telling you all along. The Eubanks are they're pieces of shit. They're batshit crazy. Dude. I, I, I just uh, I, I don't understand how Hearn works with them. But either way, besides the fact, for let, let's look at it like this. So Golovkin was going to fight Eubank Jr. Okay. We were all willing to accept that. That was an okay fight, right? Yeah. Uh, Most people just wanted to see Eubank get well, yeah. so what that's coming to him. That's, and that's why we accepted it. A lot of us did. Yeah. But so we're getting a better fighter in Kell Brook, and I don't think there's any question in that matter that Kell Brook is the far superior technical fighter to Eubank. Oh, it's not even close. Not uh, even close. Yeah, so the, the size difference does not make up for that, the, the difference in skill between the two. No. To no. me, we're going to get a much more competitive matchup, whether it lasts. I don't expect Kell Brook to pull off an amazing upset in this fight, but I'm sorry. If, if, if we're going to accept Eubank Jr., what the hell is the problem with Kell Brook? Well, honestly, man, look, 
if 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 people want to and casual fans, if this is one of your first times listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast, I mean, all you have to do is go back and look at the fact that Chris Eubank Jr. is at 160 pounds is one of the most unestablished fighters yep. um, in that entire division, right? You look at Chris Eubank Jr. and you look at this process, you thought it was going to happen. We touched on the fact that most people just wanted to see Golovkin give, a, you know, serve a big old, I'm not even going to say a slice, a full, pea, uh, you know, a full round of humble pie. That's why most people wanted to see it. Yeah, we were going to accept it. But all you have to do as casual fans, all you have to do as, as boxing fans to see what this fight is really made of past looking at it on paper, past the eye test, past the weight discrepancy, is go to Vegas, look at the betting line for this. This will be the closest odds Gennady Golovkin has ever had since becoming a champion back in 2010, okay? Gennady Golovkin will fight against Kell Brook at the odds of 5.5 to 1, so it's 11 to 2 odds. His odds against a middleweight champion, a dangerous middleweight champion that we all thought going into the fight, David Lemieux, that that was going to be an all-out war. Lemieux was 8 to 1 underdog, so Kell Brook has better odds. And, and all I have to say is when you were seeing preliminary odds that people were posting on the idea of Gennady Golovkin versus Chris Eubank Jr., it was 20-1 to 1 in yeah. favor of Gennady Golovkin. So that's all you have to do if you want a simplification of the answer to why this fight makes way more sense than Eubank. All you have to do is look at what Vegas thinks of the competitive odds of this fight. Uh, absolutely, man. I agree 100%. And it's solely based on you just have to look and go, Cal Brook is a fucking solid fighter, dude. Yeah, hell yeah. Very solid. Very solid. He's on the he's on the brink of being on pound for pound lists. Whether you care about that or not, that those are facts as how as to how he's gauged in the sport. Sure, he would be had he not fought three stiffs in a row. And this isn't a a, a a very popular fighter worldwide. So for him to be considered for pound for pound rankings is something else. No, it's he, usually a popularity contest. Yeah, he's not very well known in in the states. So yeah, people try to have an opinion of him now because he's fighting Golovkin. But believe me, they've seen him fight Sean Porter, and that's it. That's it. They they haven't tracked this guy's career for the last five years and seen what type of fighter he is. And I, I'll say this to the people that don't like this fight. And for some odd fucking reason, Ken, they seem to think that Danny Jacobs would be a better fight. I, I, I'm sorry. I'll say it again with the skill. Kel Brook is just has a better skill set than Danny Jacobs. Yes, he's a da better fighter than Danny him. Jacobs is a built up storyline by the PBC. Why hasn't the WBA mandated a fight yet. Well, Ken. hold on. The WBA said that they were just not going to interfere with the Canelo negotiations. It's been two but, fucking years. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. He said that if the, if the W, if that does not happen, if the WBC mandatory does not happen and negotiations fall apart, then he would mandate Danny Jacobs. He said, but I'm not going to get in the way of the negotiations, not putting any pressure on him. Right. I'll wait for that to happen. Well, once it happened, there was no announcement from Gilberto Mendoza Incorporated. There was no announcement. There was no mention of Danny Jacobs. And the only time J Danny Jacobs opened his mouth was when a fight for Gennady Golovkin, whether it was going to be Chris Eubank or somebody else, we had been given notice by K2 that we're going to move on from Eubank if we do not sign this fight. As soon as he knew that a signing was imminent, he comes out and does the same thing that every other person that wants nothing to do with Triple G does and opens his big mouth. But here's what I have to say. Gennady Golovkin is going to fight 
one of the probably 10 or 15 best fighters in the world who physically be capable in this fight, who's more skilled than any other guy that you could put him in with that's near Gennady Golovkin's weight. Yeah, you can sit here and say, oh, well, look at all the skill and athleticism at 154 pounds. Those guys won't even fight each other, so I I don't even want to hear it. Yeah, bring up the lore shit. It's like the guy has been a champion at 154 for, I don't know, almost two years, two years, maybe more than that. He has no desire to even unify his own divisions. Yeah. So what makes you think he's going to come up and wait to fight Gennady Golovkin? Use fucking logic, man. Just <laughs> it's 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 right there. Just stop stop being a fucking retard. Just step back, take your fandom or hate out of it. And just look at the fucking facts, man. Yes, you have to be able to grab on to more than just one part of the story. And you don't always listen to what some fucking guy involved in the sport says. Most of what comes out of these people's mouths is horse shit. Yes, yes. So you have to kind of wade through the shit yourself and make it and make a decision as to what's real and what isn't. It's quite fucking obvious. Just look at the facts. Use perspective. Look at the history of these guys that you're saying Golovkin should be fighting. They don't want to fucking fight Dude, him. Dude, Danny Jacobs hasn't fought since December and doesn't even have a a hard date for his rematch that nobody wants to see against no knees Sergio Mora. Oh, yeah, Sergio Mora dropped you. Yeah, I'm sure you'll fucking let la- You'll get dropped by a Golovkin jab if Sergio Mora drops yeah, you. Yeah, and don't tell me there's some kind of plan for Danny Jacobs in the PBC that he's going to be Brooklyn this, Brooklyn that. Because the dude has not fought on any of these Brooklyn cards that have featured fighters that are not, not from anywhere near Brooklyn. Why wasn't he the co-feature on Sean Porter versus Keith Thurman? If he's the face in your fake fraudulent junior varsity middleweight champion, where is he? He's nowhere because he's not interested in fighting. None of these guys that step up and run their mouths have any interest in actually getting into any of these messes. I, I, I said the tweet. I sent it out. I said that all of these guys, these talkers and these uh, these enablers of the talkers in this generation have brought boxing down to nothing. So when those that want to dare to be great still have the balls to still do it, they step up and they will fill in for where everybody else lacks. So you can have your opinion on this fight. You can call Golovkin whatever you want for taking this fight against Kell Brook, whatever. Where the fuck is everybody else? Because nobody else is stepping up. No, absolutely not. And you know what? Kudos to Kell Brook. And if you're, if for some reason you don't think he deserves this fight or you're somehow disparaging what he, like, you fucking idiot, what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to die. He's going to kill you. Now, come on, let's, let's fucking be honest here. I think Kell Brook will do just fine in this fight, probably as good as any guy we've seen against Golovkin. I'm not saying he's not going to get knocked out because he is. It'll happen eventually. But let's be honest. Who Golovkin has beat, is anybody any better skill-wise than Kell Brook? I don't care if he's a little bit smaller. You look back on the history of boxing, and everybody loves to talk about how, well, back in the day when there was only seven or eight weight classes, they always met in the middle, right? Or they always somebody always moved up to weight class to challenge. But those are the same people that are shitting on this fight. Yeah, the same people that talk about how old school boxing was the fucking best, and now they get it, they get this, and they're like, oh, a good guy steps up and wait to face a monster? Oh, he's fucking got a death wish. He's a retard, Ken. There's hypocrisy all over the place on this thing, man. You got to stick to your guns, and and you have to look at this for what it is, okay? You have who is unanimously viewed as the most skilled, most powerful, most dangerous man at 160 pounds, the unified middleweight champion of the world, Triple G. You have Kell Brook, the IBF welterweight champion. 
Vince and I disagree on his place in the welterweight division, but there's no doubt he's either one or two or one A or one B. Yes. And a lot of people have him one. And it's not just based off of one fleeting moment against Sean Porter. Even when he's been fighting these IBF mandatories, Jojo Dan and, and Kevin Bizier and even the Frankie Gavins of the world, Kell Brook came in in shape. Kell Brook came in and did exactly what he was supposed to do. He didn't let up against these guys. No. I have no doubt in my mind that Amir Khan was always the problem with the Kell Brook fight and that there was never enough money involved in that fight to make anybody happy. No. We knew that Kell Brook was not – once we heard Jesse Vargas was going to be paid more – than him to fight in his hometown, they should have at least been getting paid the same thing. So why was he... He was using that as a distraction. The Eubanks tried. Eddie Hearn stepped in, and he presented Kell Brook the same exact offer as the Eubanks, and he took it. Because here's the problem. All right, Chris Eubank Jr. has had one big fight in his entire fucking life, and he lost it, okay? Everybody else that he has fought has been D-level uh, European, UK talent, and that's just an absolute fact. I don't care what he or his father have been, uh, you know, Jedi mind tricking uh, the casual fan in the UK into thinking was once these guys who have no relevance in the grand uh, landscape of world-level boxing, once they said they needed to be able to control operations for the fight, that they needed to be able to price the tickets, select the refs, pick the announcing crew, it's like... Hold on a second. Why don't you go and get a fucking promoter's license? And who the fuck are you to be able to make demands to anybody and saying that you want to run the promotion? You've never even fought anybody who's worth the shit outside of the United Kingdom, and you got beat. You got schooled in the only meaningful fight in your entire life, and now you want promotional control, and you're not even a, a, a promoter? You can't even keep a promoter. These guys are such idiots, and their egos are so big. They bounce back and forth, back and forth, and I give Eddie Hearn, a guy that we give as much grief and as much praise. We are 50-50 with Eddie Hearn, and I'll tell you what. I give Eddie Hearn all the credit in the world for jumping out in front of this in what may be one of the, the rare times in promotional history and all the lies and bullshit of professional boxing where a promoter fucking fries his fighter. And absolutely, he deserved every fucking bit of that, man. I mean, what the shit they tried to pull, it's like, come on, who the fuck do you guys think you are in this sport? Like, are you that fucking egomaniacal that you view yourselves yes. as? Uh, yeah, obviously, right? But they, this is just, it's unfucking believable, man. And I always, in the back of my mind, knew that it, it just the way that, Senior is will never allow Junior to be great because Senior's such a fucking wackadoo, and you can't help but believe that Junior's got a little bit of that in him. The fucking apple don't fall far from the tree, and you can tell by the way when Junior gets on the mic, just his fucking his brash and just uh, you know some of that's good, but other other it's like dude, you haven't done anything to be presenting yourself as some fucking monster. You're not nothing. No nothing. Nobody gives a shit about Chris Eubank, especially in this country. And in the middleweight division, I'm sorry, he's a middle to bottom 10 fighter. He's somewhere 5 to 10. And that's without accomplishing anything. Yeah. That and, just showed, goes And that's to in a soft middleweight division. Yes. Well, if, any, if these guys would fight each other, then they'd be able to sort out who's really the best. So all you have to go on with Chris Eubank is talent and the fact that the rest of these guys are either has-beens, never will-bees, or they'll never fight each, each other, or there's promotional conflicts that don't allow it. The fact is, is that Chris Eubank Jr. is a big fucking pussy. Yep. That's all he is, and his father 
is a uh, a big fucking pussy with a Louis Vuitton man purse. You know what I mean? <laughs> he does a catwalk strut to the center of the ring and spins like a little bitch. Oh, dude, man, I would just uh, unbelievable. And you know the funniest thing is is that is that there's a lot of people like all the all the Eubank haters over in the UK are like, you know what? Eubank Senior would have fucking dodged Golovkin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. But let's be honest. We already touched on the WBA. Uh, Gilbert Mendoza not doing what he said he was going to do, sticking to his guns and making Danny Jacobs the mandatory. That, along with the fact that Canelo Alvarez had two opportunities in the last year mm-hmm. to sign a lucrative deal to fight Gennady Golovkin, backed away. Billy Joe Saunders, nothing. Everybody else comes in after the fact. This guy is taking his brand global. He was going to the U.K. the entire time. He's going to go to the U.K. and steal every fucking fan that Chris Eubank Jr. ever had because they will be able to bear witness to a real middleweight, and they are going to absolutely love him. And my bet, then, is that the 0-2 on September 10th is going to be going absolutely insane when the Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes starts playing and Golovkin comes out fist-pumping in his Kazakh road. Hey, look, there, there ain't nothing like being at a Golovkin fight live. I, I don't care what you think about this fight. It, it, you may view it as not worthy of you buying a ticket and going, but in my opinion, if he comes in your area and you have an opportunity to go, you get your ass to that arena because I'm telling you right now, as far as a fight atmosphere goes, there's not too many like it. And that's coming from an American fight, or American fight fan that's been to a lot of fights where a lot of times the atmosphere stinks. You know the best atmosphere I w- for a fight I was at was Ward Frotch in really? Atlantic City because there was a ton of UK fans there mouthing off. It, it just makes the, the environment that much better. So, yeah, I, look, I, I'm telling you right now, you, you can think what you want, you can say what you want, you can, you can be pissed off about this matchup. If you don't go, you're an idiot, period. Yeah. If you have the opportunity. I agree. HBO has, uh, I guess, lent some credence to the rumors of a Chocolatito a rise to the 115-pound division, squaring off against WBC champion uh, Carlos Quadras. And the word on the street is that will happen at the L.A. Forum. And they will have Kamigai versus Soto Karras 2 on the undercard. <laughs> and that... The Golovkin-Brook fight will be a day, and the night will be Chocolatito versus Quadras, a day-night doubleheader on HBO. Hey, man, I'm not going to argue with that card, that, that fight day at all. No, no, neither will I. Um, so there's a lot to be said about in the wake of this. We've already touched on the Eubanks. We've already touched on the middleweight division. Let's talk about the guy that was uh, seemingly left at the altar, Jesse Vargas, who had signed his end of a contract, a contract that inevitably Kel Brook turned down because a more lucrative one came along. But Jesse Vargas, the WBA welterweight champion, had mentioned, at least tried to apply pr- uh, pressure to Brook by threatening he would move on to a rematch with Timothy Bradley. Now, I'm also hearing then, since Adrian Broner priced himself out, according to Bob Arum, way out, way out, that uh, possibly Jesse Vargas could be fighting Timothy Bradley in a rematch or Manny Pacquiao in October. What do you think about that? I like both of those fights, man. I think those are both awesome fights. They're, they're both going to be action-packed fights, no doubt about it. Yeah. Especially the way that Jesse Vargas has what he's become over his last couple fights, a much different fighter. It's a much ballsier. I, I feel bad for him because, you know, was Jesse Vargas going to be probably a 4-5-1 or five to one underdog going to the U.K. to fight Kell Brook? Yeah, yes. probably. But I also think he had a very good chance in that fight. And whether he won or lost, if he showed well – it was still going to be good for his career. So I, f- I feel bad for the kid because, look, 
Now he's stuck. He, he wants another big fight, and he's stuck going after two all-time greats. And, you know, that, he may, he's probably going to take a loss. Either Bradley or Pacquiao will beat him. They still have enough left in the tank to do it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, while Jesse Vargas and Bradley, you know, have, um, you know, provides interest just because of the way that the, you know, last 20 seconds of their, their first fight at the StubHub Center went when uh, Jesse Vargas landed that Hail Mary and the referee stopped the fight prematurely. I'll tell you what, as much interest as there'll be for that storyline, I think Jesse Vargas versus Manny Pacquiao would be an action-packed fight for as long as it lasts. Oh, absolutely. I, that would be the better fight of the two. Um, I'm not sure Pacquiao needs that, in a com- you know, about to retire, coming coming back for one more fight and fighting Vargas. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's necessary for him. 20 million guaranteed. But, yeah, that's, you're right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the money that matters. I'm not sure he cares about who the matchup is. Nor does anybody else really at this point. The guy has cemented his legacy. Oh, yeah. So you're you going to hate on him because he fought Jesse Vargas? Why don't you re- rewind the clock about 10 years yeah. and tell me what you got to say? Yeah, absolutely, man. Those that uh, are still interested in what Manny Pacquiao has left to do in the ring, they'll tune in. No, absolutely. We'll tune in. Um, so there you have it. Uh, quick news and notes out but, the but gate. Before we move away from that, just the, the Golovkin-Brook talk, I just got to say one thing. Because yeah. I, I, I keep seeing this, and it keeps fucking driving me crazy. Go ahead. It, it's the, the fact that everybody, there's a certain camp of people that somehow believe that Gennady Golovkin ducked Andre Ward in some type of negotiation, some fucking ghost negotiation that we've heard, you know, very few things about. Everybody's got something to say about it. Nobody knows the fucking real facts. Apparently, there was an offer made by Ward in the middle of a, of a training camp for Golovkin, which is not the time you offer a fight to, to somebody, especially I believe it was the Lemieux, the Lemieux fight when they offered it, yeah. if I remember correctly. That was the biggest fight of his career to that point. Rock Nation made the offer. And, and, and yeah, let, let's just say it's fucking Rock Nation. For whatever reason, people are willing to believe what Rock Nation sports has to say from what they've been as a promotional disaster for since their initiation. I, I'm just, guys, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Andre Ward needed three fucking tune-up fights before he would think about fighting Kovalev. But you think he would jump right back into boxing after one shitty tune-up fight with Paul Smith and fight Gennady Golovkin. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. So I don't know what the fuck you people are talking about. Look at, just stop believing everything you hear and just look at it. It's simple. It's very simple. It's very simple. Oh, man, you know what? If there was more confusion, we probably wouldn't even get through a show. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sometimes it is that simple. Um, Everybody has their opinions about this, man. But the fact remains, September 10th, we, Triple G versus Kell Brook in England. Um, we'll leave that as it is and uh, jump right into the post-fight. There was a Monday night fight, and there was the return of the Crusher, man, squaring off against, uh, depending on how you see it, top five to top ten light heavyweight in the world, Isaac Chalimba, crafty fighter from Russia, the unified light heavyweight championship on the line. Um, I didn't watch this live, so I was not tuned into Twitter because I was one of those people that was avoiding Twitter so I could watch right. you know, the, the HD replay, 10-15 Eastern Standard Time on HBO. Um, and, of course, I fell asleep watching OJ Made in America Part 3 <laughs> after a hard day work, so I never even made it to that. So just watching this fight, sitting here uh, in studio here at the Boxing Rant, Vince and I watched the fight, um, the HBO coverage leading into this. I'll tell you what, man. Not seeing the backlash and not really taking the time to rewind and go back and hear all people's bitching and complaining, 
this to me was Sergey Kovalev uh, handling a fight, picking his spots, working on his jab, um, showing that he is, you know, being a strategist when it comes to how he is going to be able to play a 12-round fight when he does step in with Andre Ward. Um, Sergey Kovalev, to me, handled this fight. Uh, he won decisively in my eyes, Vin. But to me, it was pretty decisive. I gave two rounds to Chalemba. I scored at 118 to 109 uh, with the knockdown in the seventh round. To me, Kovalev did what he needed to do, and this was really good work against one of the better. I'm not going to say one of the best. One of the better light heavyweights. A guy in Isaac Chalemba who came to fight. Um, you have to consider the opponent here. Isaac Chalemba did what we pretty much thought he was going to do. Crusher didn't knock him out. But I think at the end of the day, I think this is really good work for him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chalemba is just one of those guys that brings a very awkward style, not easy to deal with. He's going to force you to make adjustments in a fight, which is one thing that Kovalev needs to definitely be able to do in the ward fight is, make, is be able to make those adjustments. And one thing that I really couldn't stand in a performance that I thought, look, Kovalev looked fine. He didn't look any worse than I've ever seen him look. People were just digging for something to make this Ward-Kovalev fight, you know, a, a, a closer matchup to just to, I don't know, maybe appease themselves, I don't know. But the fact that we couldn't just give Isaac Chalemba credit for being a top 10 fighter and a very solid light heavyweight, we have to just, well, Kovalev was, you know, he's in his home country, and the last time he fought in that arena, he killed somebody, and this and that, and it rained on Thursday, <laughs> and his mom didn't say the prayer right before the fight. It's like, stop making excuses. He looked fine. Chalemba is good. Period. Yeah. The seventh round, do that crisp, sharp shooting right hand that catches Chalemba square on the chin. Uh, the eighth round, more punishment came. Hey, if that was 20 seconds earlier, that fight's probably over. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the only things that uh, the detractors and the fans of the fight um, both, you know, all agreed on. Uh, but, you know, the truth remains is this, is that Sergey Kovalev does have a fight coming up with Andre Ward. Mm -hmm. He does need to get in with a guy that's going to push him, possibly take him all the way to the distance. What I saw was not a Sergey Kovalev who was tired. I saw a guy who, did, in much in the same fashion, I think with Bernard Hopkins, the reason why Kovalev swept Hopkins was because after the knockdown early in the fight, he went into a shell and just didn't want to get knocked out. <laughs> Chalemba was always coming. He was always trying to sneak in shots. Even in the first four rounds, which I scored 4-0 for Kovalev, Isaac Chalemba did really nice body work. And I think you saw it. People were like, yeah, but didn't you see? They landed the same percentage of power punches. Yeah, well, a lot of Isaac Chalemba's power punches that were landed came early, but they had no effect on Kovalev. No, obviously. I mean, it, it, it didn't stop Kovalev from keeping the same offensive attack throughout the fight, fight pretty much. Kovalev could have thrown more punches, though, don't you think? Yeah, he could have, but look, Chalemba makes you work, dude. Does. He's a big guy. He gets in on you. He leans on you. He, he he makes you move. He made Kovalev track him all over that ring, and it was a small ring, but even still, it's not an easy fight. So just uh, look, I give Kovalev all the credit in the world for doing to a fighter, which most guys can never even do to him, which is drop him. Yeah. And like we said, 20 seconds more, and he would have finished that fight. There's no doubt. In my mind. Yeah, and then I hear these people out there, Vin, that say, oh, well, didn't you see the, the 10th and 11th rounds? Oh, Isaac Chalemba won those rounds, clearly. 
No, actually, I scored both those rounds for Sergey Kovalev. But did you see the 12th round? How can you make your point that this guy was gassed when in the last minute of the fight, he turned up the high octane and Isaac Chalemba went into survival mode? Yeah, look, Kovalev, I'm sure, had a little bit of nerves that could come into play sure. fighting at home and getting a little tired. But there's no need to make excuses for it. You know what I mean? No, not at all. I mean, look, there are realities to this. Sergey Kovalev did say in the post-fight, that this was completely different. In the United States, nobody really knows him unless they're boxing fans. And so he gets to focus on 100% boxing. Right. He comes back as the national hero, coming back to Russia, what, five years later after living in the United States, and is treated like a celebrity. So he's got more media responsibilities. I mean, going to Russia, dude, he's probably got cameras in his face all the time. He could walk anywhere he wants in the United States as long as he doesn't walk in front of Madison Square Garden or the HBO headquarters, and nobody will know who he is. I think he'd still have to have a crusher hat on. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> You're exactly right. So, yeah, okay, look. Let's not mix all that into it. That's all part of it. But I think at the end of the day, Sergey Kovalev did what he needed to do. And let's be completely honest. With the Andre Ward fight looming in November on HBO pay-per-view, Isaac Chalemba is a far, far superior opponent. Isaac Chalemba would probably stop this Alexander Brand character that Andre Ward's fighting. So let's not all the Ward people that exactly what you said, Vim, that were just looking for something to hang their hats on. Oh, you know, he's this, that, and the other. The fact remains is this. Andre Ward's going to get far worse work in Alexander Brand, and he better look impressive against Brand because Isaac Chalemba versus Ward, God, that would be an ugly-ass fight, but he's not fighting Isaac Chalemba. No. Who the fuck is Alexander Brand? Will you please stand up? Please stand up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, look. <laughs> <laughs> it, you're, you're exactly right. The, the, the amount of work and the level of work that Ward is going to get from Brand, he's not going to get pushed to where Kovalev got pushed against Chalemba. It's just not going to happen. Uh, this may even be a fight where we actually see Andre Ward stop somebody, which he, he hasn't. better stop this guy. Yeah, he should be able to. He, ve he easily should be able to if you look at it on paper. Can he do it? Who knows? Uh, and everybody wants to now, you know, all the Andre Ward followers like to say, will like to say now after that fight, that they are super confident that their man is going to beat Kovalev. Oh, it went from 50-50 to 60-40. Yeah, I, dude, I think it went from the guys who thought Andre Ward was going to win, which I'm one of them, even before this Kovalev fight happened. So I, I think Andre Ward is going to – I've always thought Andre Ward would beat Kovalev. But after this fight, you just saw the guys that were, I think, in the same boat as me, a guy that probably, you're right, had it at 60-40, now have it at like 75-25. <laughs> Like there's, they saw so many flaws in Kovalev that Andre Ward just going to eat him apart. That is not the case. Well, that just shows this is such an evenly matched fight. Yeah. To, to to watch one fight and to to come to that assumption is fucking ridiculous. Well, it just it just speaks to the level of boxing knowledge of the people that are saying that because they have no idea who Isaac Chalemba is. No, they've never seen him fight. No, and going into this, they just saw a name that sounded funny, and they were probably like, "Oh, he's fighting a bum." And, he, and Chalemba doesn't look pretty in the ring. So you watch no. him and you go, this guy ain't no good. No. Um, but yeah, but the truth be told, the crusher stays on top, uh, beats Isaac Chalemba decisively. And uh, Andre Ward looms now in November. So I guess we can kind of give it a rest until, dude, there's going to be tons. We have the, the brand fight coming up. Kovalev will be ringside. Um, so with Ward coming back in action, we will revisit this here in just a few weeks. Yeah, it should be some good dis discussions because I know you're you're in the Kovalev side of things. I'm on the Ward side of things, so it should be fun. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. Jose Ramirez impresses against Tomas Mendez on Unimas. Dude, my boy is the Energizer Bunny, is he uh, not? Yeah, uh, he's one of the most high-octane fighters, if not the most high-octane fighter in boxing, man. Dude, he's going 
to if he can stay in competitive fights, this isn't a guy that has to stay undefeated for forever because he is steadily already now. Dude, he's not even at 20 f- career fights yet. This kid with, what, 17 fights now under the belt? Mm-hmm. My man is already growing an audience that beats most. Dude, this guy has a bigger following probably than Leo Santa Cruz does in California. Yeah, there's no question about it, man. Yeah, dude. You know what? Jose Ramirez, his star is rising. Uh, they're doing a great job of promoting him regionally, and I think we're going to continue to see him on uh, all kinds of top rank cards. And I think probably, you know, maybe if Pacquiao comes back back in October, I would almost guarantee you that Jose Ramirez will be on that undercard. Yeah, it would not surprise me. Look, I think in the end with Jose Ramirez, he's going to wind up being one of those fighters that he's just just shy of the, like the championship level pedigree to win fights but the dude will be in some of the best fights against some of the best fighters. And the way he punches and his high-octane motor that he brings, he will have a chance against anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially with 140 kind of thinning itself out. Right. All right, let's move on to the preview of the weekend. Uh, July 16th, the PBC on Fox this Saturday night, Birmingham, Alabama. It's the return of the WBC heavyweight champion, Deontay Wilder, as he squares off against Chris Ariola, this fight uh, deemed by the WBC go ahead as meldonium was in the blood system of mandatory Alexander Povetkin. So he was ready to go. Ariola, not sure Ariola is ever ready to go. Um, <laughs> so they were like, Chris, well, it doesn't really matter if you're in shape, right? <laughs> Just uh, lace them up, get yeah. through the ropes. Yeah, a- absolutely. Deontay Wilder, Chris Ariola. All right, we know Wilder is vulnerable. But we also know that Wilder has the thunder stick, the thunder pole right hand, that he can pretty much stop a fight at any point, no matter how bad he's looking. Mm-hmm. Chris Ariola, I know he's a plotter and will probably just get picked off until his nose explodes. I don't know if he'll quit. Deontay Wilder might knock him out. But is the just the possibility of a vulnerable Deontay Wilder just enough to make you think that a guy that used to be able to drop people who's still got a pretty decent right hand and Chris Ariola could possibly dude if guys like Duapis and guys like uh, Mark Antonio Ruiz June <laughs> what was that guy's name Edgar Ru- um, um we did this before Johan um Johan Molina 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 um uh Ariola and Wilder then does Chris Ariola have any possibility of making Wilder do the dance? Or or is there a possibility that, that right hand could be what exposes Deontay Wilder, or am I just reaching here? I, I, five years ago, maybe. Not now. I, I think Ariola is nothing more than a shadow of, of his former self, which wasn't that damn good anyways. It's uh, a he, bigger he, shadow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just feel like he's gonna. He's got two rounds of of come forward aggressive fighting in him, and unless he drops Wilder, which I just can't see, his punches are too short. He doesn't have the range. Wilder is athletic enough to be able to get out of the way, skate, move, let the fat man get tired, <laughs> land a few right hands, you know, soften him up to the nose. I, I I don't think he'll drop him, knock him out, but I think in the fifth round it'll be an accumulation of a of a beating to the face and blood. And a couple, a couple knockdowns, and it'll get stopped. Do you think that Wilder will have enough uh, juice on his right hand to knock the Cheetos out them fat rolls? You think <laughs> I so? don't even think that's possible. So he's saving <laughs> those for later. Oh man, you know he dusts up them areolas <laughs> with some fresh cheesy poofs. You know, <laughs> oh Chris Nips, oh Chris Nips, you gotta love him, man. 
Uh, dude, he's got balls. Uh, nobody's ever really questioned his toughness. I mean, even when Berman Stavern made his uh, nose explode in front of the boxing community, I think he'll be there. I think Wilder will do exactly what you said. He's going to turn his face to pudding. Yeah, um, Ariola's <laughs> Ariola's going to get fucking tired eventually. That's just the facts, man. What's your prediction? Uh, I, I'm saying fifth, sixth round stoppage TKO. Yeah, I'll tell you, Wilder, by the way, I don't think this thing gets past the fourth round. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he knocks him out. He's, uh, Ariel is going to go balls to the wall. Uh, yes. Op- opening bell. It's just a matter of how long that lasts. If he does that, there's a chance we may see Deontay do the two-step. I don't think, he'll not, I don't think he can beat Deontay Wilder, but, uh, you know, Wilder, th- those uh, peg legs, man, those things will do the weevil wobble. They will figure out a way to get Wilder to the next round and the next <laughs> round until Ariola gets tired. <laughs> They will not let that happen. Oh, the little red phone that sits right next to the ring coming yeah, from yeah. Al Heyman's, uh, well, you know, wherever Al Heyman is, if Al Heyman actually exists. I don't believe he does. <laughs> Sammy Vasquez joins the party against Felix Diaz. This is a good step-up fight um, for the uh, savvy boxer, uh, the vet, Sammy Vasquez. Hopefully, let's just hope that our boy is not announcing this fight, man, because I don't want to hear any more of his uh, Ooh, Danny? waxing poetic. No, Danny... Look, man, he he just sits there and you know, hey, Ken. <laughs> oh, he look good. <laughs> 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 oh, DSG, no boy, uh, the CEO of Reclamation Projects and oh, uh, Rehabilitation. You know, uh, you know he's going to be there. It's a Wilder fight. He's already done a you know a ten minute puff piece for Wilder before the fight starts. Oh, dude, but how can he find the time when there's the next one for Adrian Broner about he, how he got off from, uh, what, pistol whipping that guy and stealing $10,000 out of him? Yeah, he's not going to go back to the PTSD bit, is he? I think he probably dude, heard enough shit I just for don't it. want Mark Kriegel appearing on this announcing crew, but I have a feeling because it's PBC on Fox oh, that Mark Kriegel will be there repeating the same five lines that he learned the last time that he talked to Sammy Vasquez, and he's going to say it in a way where it is so profound and dramatic absolutely hey look look felix diaz is a tough fighter man I, vasquez better better come to this fight ready to fight because felix diaz we saw give uh lamont peterson plenty of trouble yeah absolutely man uh, this is a good test for vasquez no doubt added to the card erickson lubin one of our top prospects squares off against Ivan montero um pretty uh easy work for lubin get him a little bit of exposure I like how quick he, quickly he's back in the ring. That's man. important. Yeah. It's important. I don't they, care who he's fighting. Just keep fighting. Yes. Yes. And don't sign with Don King. No. You know what I mean? Because you'll just end up on the Mirror Mom program where you can't even get a fight, a serious fight on, on, on television. It's bad enough the way the PBC has been treating their ESPN slots that they had already pre-purchased. I'm sure ESPN thought that they were going to get way better than the shit they've been getting. So at least they're putting Erickson Lubin on a big platform. I'm not going to stand up and applause the PBC for it, but I'm glad that I get to see the WBC champ who's always exciting. Mm-hmm. Sammy Vasquez, who I like to watch his skills in the ring because he's a savvy boxer, and Erickson Lubin, man, who uh, the sky's the limit for. Absolutely. I mean, as, as far as PBC cards go, it ain't a bad one. No, it's not at all, and it's a, it, it's a good filler on the way to the pay-per-view that is Terrence Crawford versus Victor Postal. That's yes, going to be off the hook. Man. Yep. All right, from Cardiff, Wales, Guillermo Rigondeau takes on James uh, Jazza Dickens, WBA junior featherweight title on the line. Well, I guess he found his passport. (laughs) (laughs) Or was it a visa? I don't know. What was it? I don't know, man. There's always an excuse, isn't there? Always an excuse. But the old man gets back in the ring for his second career uh, professional fight. This guy, I mean, come on, man. I mean, who knows how old he is? We found out how old these Cuban pitchers are. You know, 
uh, on TV it says, or their baseball card, it says they're 30, but they're really 39 because there's no record of their birth whatsoever because they came over on a raft. You know what I mean? They didn't <laughs> yeah. bring the birth certificate. Oh, I mean, shit, I forgot my birth certificate. Let's turn around. <laughs> As they're being raced away and shot at by, boy, by the Coast Guard. Oh, man. Dude, Jazza Dickens, Guillermo Rigondeaux. If Guillermo Rigondeaux doesn't knock him out and, and doesn't look good in this fight, I'm just going to call it. Rigondeaux's best days are behind him, which I already tend to lean towards that anyways. I, I lean the same way, but look, he's going to win this fight, and, and the Rigo uh, fan base can have their day and tell us all once again that he's the greatest fighter that graces the canvas of boxing <laughs> in the last 25 years. His skills are so unbelievably he, – he's divine in boxing, Ken. He's just a fucking god. And right after he says and how that, dare you ever think of criticizing him? And as soon as he finishes that line that you just said, he says, look at my abs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's always flossing abs at the end of fights. He oils that shit, Ken. Oh, man. <laughs> well, yeah, no, because he doesn't do any work in the ring. <laughs> he's got to put some lube on to make it look like he's sweating. Uh, also on the card, uh, WBO lightweight champion, Terry Flanagan, a guy that um, has proved me wrong time and time again, fighting a guy whose name is Mazonka Fana. Uh, Larry Zonka? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know who this guy is. Sometimes we, uh, you know. Uh, you got to draw a line somewhere, man. I'm not wasting time on Mazonka Fana. No, I thought he was, you know, I thought he had some pretty good momentum, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, he did. And, you know, I don't know. I guess he's playing second fiddle on this one. Maybe not because hopefully he is the UK get, fighter. Hopefully we get Flanagan Crowler here soon. Yeah, well, I'll just have to wait and see who wins Crowler Linares first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dude, the lightweight division is... Uh, there's a lot of things on the horizon. Lottie Cannon, you know what I mean? All very good fights. Not not great, you know, not the best skilled fighters ever. But they'll be entertaining. Oh, every single one of those fights will be great. Um, so, yeah, Flanagan fans will be happy to see him back in action. I like watching him fight, man. He's I impre- do, too. It's definitely impressive. Um, on Unimas from Lancaster, California, one of the top prospects in top ranks, ranks, Alexander Gabazdic takes on Robert Barrage. Another step towards his goal of challenging at the 175-pound division. Bob Arum seems to think in 18 months and maybe four or five more fights that Gavazdic will be ready for Kovalev. What do you think about that? That's a bold statement. Uh, that is a bold statement. Uh, do I think he went too far with that? I don't, I don't know. Gavazdic is a scary fighter, man. In much the same way that Kovalev is. And, and is not a, you know unpolished young guy. He's been around... He's got amateur pedigree for days. So I, it, it's, he's just kind of one of them fighters like you see with Lomachenko, like you see with a lot better BF. Just all these guys, that they don't really need 20 fights before they're ready. They don't need 30 fights. Get them, get them 10, 15, 18 fights, and they're ready to go, period. Yeah, ready to rock and roll, man. And uh, one of our favorites also. And we might be talking about two members of the, of the uh, top 10 prospect ranks as mm-hmm. uh, Egedius Kavalowskis cracked the 2016 rankings at the beginning of the year. We'll square off against Jeremy Bryan, a welterweight fight. Kavalowskis, a devastating uh, power puncher, showed in his last fight, if pushed the distance or can't get his guy out there, that he is the uh, superior technician in the ring. Dude, you give me Gavazdic and Kavalowskis as a one-two tandem all the way to the rise of their first title shots. I'm down. Put it on Unimas. Put it on anything. I'm going to be watching these two guys uh, as they rise. Yeah, I would not miss either one of these two guys fights until they're done. Yes. And, 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 and two, I don't know if, what this would be on if it is even televised in, uh, in the UK, maybe they can ro- watch it on top rank.com. 
But if you are a U.S. fight fan that has not watched Kabazdic or Kavalowskis fight yet, tune in to Unimas on Saturday night because you will not be disappointed because this one will definitely go on the DVR. Yeah, go, go on YouTube and check a little bit out. I guarantee you'll be watching after you see that. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, man. That was a, uh, a sprint right there, my friend. Yes, it was. We could have turned that into an hour and a half show, but I guess we're talking so damn fast. As Golovkin, Kel Brook. Look, you have an episode where it's Golovkin, Kel Brook, Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalev, and you got yourself a show. Deontay Wilder, you got yourself a show. Yeah. You got, well, four of them right there that you named first are some of the best fighters in the world today. Yeah. yeah. Dude, if we were ever serious about doing a daily boxing podcast, we could just cover one guy a day and probably talk about them over and over and over again. Because, you look, even though we are highly critical of the state of boxing and we blame fighters and promoters alike, the fact remains is that there are bright spots. And if all the other guys will not stand up to the plate, they will not grab the mic then I'm telling you right now that I want to see the best in the world fighting and staying active, and that's what they're doing. And they're the ones at the end of the day that's going to be rewarded. Hopefully one day we get a fucking treat, Ben. <laughs> hey, look, man, the next two weeks you got just what you just spoke about. You, you got Santa Cruz Frampton, and you got uh, who's, who's next week? That I'm Crawford my Postal. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Crawford Postal. Oscar Valdez on the undercard. Uh, I mean, look, you, th- those two matchups right there, you – that's what the sport is about. That's what we need to see more of. You got Ward Kovalev coming later yeah, this year. Yeah. You just said Lenaris Kralla, maybe not on the same level, but just as good of a fight. It's a hell of a the, fight, though. The best in the division. Yeah. So, look, uh, as much as we complain, like you said, boxing is about to go through one of them periods where if these fights turn out to be good, boxing is going to come out on the better end of things. Yeah, and these guys that, that keep doing irreparable damage to the reputations, um, based surely off of ego and the fact that they don't have the balls to step in and fight the best like their predecessors and the ones that came before them, they will be left to the wayside and they'll be talked about less and less and less. So Mr. Eubank and, uh, and Eubank Jr., go ahead, keep on talking because uh, we're just going to turn this little volume button way down and talk about the best of the best, which has been episode 124. Yeah, if, if the Eubanks weren't on mute before this, uh, they're on mute now. <laughs> oh, speaking of, uh, well, we won't mute it yet. We'll give you a little, uh, I don't know, minute and 30 second outro here as we leave you on the pound for pound king of boxing podcasts. The tale of the tape. Vin and I will be back next week as we deliver the post fight from Wilder versus Ariola, Rigondeaux, Terry Flanagan, Lubin and Vasquez all in action. And we'll bring you a preview of the HBO pay-per-view as Terrence Crawford squares off against Victor Postal as two junior welterweight champions look to unify the 140-pound division. But until episode 125, you've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. And for my co-host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow at Vince Cummings 81. Follow the Tale of the Tape at The Boxing Rant. Subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes today. Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, The Boxing Rant YouTube channel. Then Crawford versus Postal on the horizon. Uh, I've been waiting for this fight, my friend. Waiting patiently. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But to all of you out there across the land who've tuned in, to another episode we appreciate you taking time out of your busy days to listen to the tale of the tape boxing podcast muchas gracias everybody